Welcome to Premium Cashflow Real Estate Investing Podcast with Sakar Kali. During this program, you will hear guest experts sharing their experiences, best practices, and market insights. We discuss investing in multifamily apartment complexes and how a busy professional can passively invest hassle-free in various opportunities. Your host, Sakar Kali, owns millions of dollars of assets and has done thousands of value-add projects over 20 years now. So listen in for insights. Here's your host, Sakar Kali. Welcome to another edition of Premium Cashflow Podcast. Uh, today, I have the pleasure of hosting John Kasman. Uh, John is with Kasman Capital Group, uh, a veteran multifamily and a, a real estate investor. Um, he is uh, an expert in marketing and branding. Uh, he is somebody I have, you know, uh, exchanged notes, met him with conferences and things like that. Just an all-around great guy to hang out with. Uh, welcome to the show, uh, John. I appreciate it. Hey, thank you for having me. Listen, I'm excited to talk to you on the show. We've been talking about doing this for a while now, and I'm glad we finally got together to make this happen. Awesome. Awesome. John is with Casman Capital. I mean, his group has acquired um, several multifamily assets worth uh, $80 million dollars. He is a fellow podcaster. His podcast, Target Market Insights, is an amazing one. They discuss multifamily and marketing, which I personally myself enjoy as well. And he is also the host of um, Midwest Real Estate Networking Summit and another great conference that happens, uh, I believe, um, uh, yearly, right? Annually, uh, you host that conference. Right? Yeah, it's an annual event. We obviously with, with COVID, uh, we had to push it, the schedule a little bit. So July 25th and 26th um, are the dates for the conference and uh, really excited to do it even virtually. We've got some fun ways to uh, still make it interactive, still focus on the networking component of it, awesome. which I think is important because, you know, I mean, there are a lot of virtual events right now, but sure. it's one thing just to watch videos of speakers. It's another thing to actually have an interactive experience where you can connect with the other attendees. Couldn't agree more. Couldn't agree more. In a virtual world, that is how we are interacting. And the more people we get to know, it is a skill. It is an art as to how we go about it. And you rightfully said with the COVID, where we are today is an interesting times and how we do things and how we evaluate uh, things moving forward are going to uh, be a little bit different as well. So speaking of that, uh, John, give us, uh, you know, some uh, sort of insights into how you are looking at things given uh, sort of the COVID pandemic that we are going through, you know, like whether it is submarkets or looking at different, uh, you know, asset opportunities and things like that. Yeah, I mean, listen, COVID threw a monkey wrench into everyone's business plan, right? I think everyone had to stop and pause for a moment and calibrate and try to understand what was going on. Was this a temporary thing? I know for the first month or so, we all felt like, oh, this will this will go away in a couple of weeks or sure. <laughs> uh, this is temporary, right? Oh, it's just another week. They just want us to hang out for a little bit. And a week turned into two weeks and turned into a month and two months. And now it's in the summertime. And, sure. you know, it just kind of continues to, <laughs> to extend, right? right? So it's the new normal. So I think starting out, everything paused. Everyone just wanted to wait and figure out, was this going to wipe out the planet? Was this kind of the, the end of the world situation sure. or, or what is this? And in watching kind of the reality of 
both how it's impacted the world and the United States in particular, as well as how the government has responded in regards to the CARES Act and the trillions of dollars that were, you know, pumped into the economy, sure. you know, ultimately we had to step back and understand what are some of the implications both immediately as well as long-term. So for us, one of the main pivots that we've made in our business plan is really just take a look at what those sub-market indications are. So from a sure. macro market mm -hmm. standpoint, um, not a whole lot has shifted. I will say that as you look out you do want to understand which markets may be more susceptible to future outbreaks. Um, maybe Florida, California, you know, those coastal markets, especially those markets that are attracting kind of an older demographic. Sure. Um, mm -hmm. Not for us, we're in multifamily, but for those who are in office or senior living or senior assisted facilities, sure. um, those who are in retail, um, those industries in particular, I think it's really important to pay close attention daily you know i mean this is an ongoing thing where the numbers are shifting uh, you really have to pay attention to what the implications are going to sure. be mm -hmm. looks like demand is decreasing in those particular um, asset classes right now but for multifamily it's been pretty steady so when i talk about the sub markets one of the things that we want to do is understand the demographics how many residents are in the service industry. The sure. service industry has been hit the hardest. Service, hospitality, those kind of industries have been hit the hardest and sure. are most susceptible going forward. So I would pay a close attention to, you know, that, that demographic of residents. Are they in the service industry? Um, and if so, are you in a market or a region where the economy is likely to shut down again? Or are you in a market or a sub-market where it really hasn't hit hard in the specific sub-market? So as long as there are some precautionary measures like wearing a mask or whatever, um, things can stay open and business can continue to move forward. So uh, for us, one of the macro things we see is, you know, folks who are living in, um, in these urban cores, um, mm -hmm. there's less demand or we were anticipating that demand may shrink because you may have more people working from home. You have you know, companies that are announcing, Hey, we're not going to come back to work, you know, not for the rest of 2020. So if you lived in downtown Seattle or downtown Chicago and you live there because your, your office was right there, sure. you're paying $2,000 a month for one bedroom. Right. Do you still want to pay $2,000 a month for one bedroom in downtown Chicago or downtown sure. Seattle mm -hmm. if you don't have to and you can spend half that and get a yard or way more space? Sure. So I think you're going to see some of those dynamics. And we, we actually interviewed, um, we did a panel discussion on that specific thing with Dan Hanford and uh, uh, Matt Faircloth and uh, Tony Hardy talking mm -hmm. about this dynamic and what the implications would be. Mm -hmm. um, but I, I do think it's really important to understand that sentiment may shift, demand may shift, and a lot of this is not driven solely by COVID. You have to keep in mind that millennial renters mm -hmm. are actually starting to get older. They're in their late 30s and 40s now. Sure. So mm -hmm. it's not that these are the young kids who are renting and they want the fun. They're starting to have kids. And they're right, starting right. to want, you know, a single family house and a yard and a place for their dog and all that stuff. Anymore. Right. So some of this was happening anyway, and this may be escalated by COVID. So just pay attention to those dynamics and make sure you're really clear on who your resident base is, whether they're mm -hmm. in the service industry, whether or not they're millennials, or whether or not they're seniors, that we think all three of those may be impacted by all the things that have taken place with COVID.
Right, right. I, a lot of great points and a lot of stuff to unpack there, John. And you rightfully said that, you know, with the impact uh, COVID has left, I mean, a lot of people are working virtually. So if you can get on a video call, why to, you know, again, uh, rent out those expensive spaces, right? Now, speaking of all this, right, some of the impact that has happened, John, is that, um, you know, renters are having tough time paying rents, you know. Um, as we know, like businesses are shut down right now, even courts are shut down. We expect later part of the year is going to be extremely challenging as far as whether that's, you know, collections or evictions and things like that. Uh, what kind of things you are anticipating as far as do you expect a large impact on the C-class type of assets? And are you maybe perhaps focusing more on uh, maybe you know, like the cream of the crop sort of B or A type of assets. How, what are you looking for in terms of moving forward? Yeah, it's a great question. You know, as we think about who's going to be impacted the most is the class A resident, class B, class C. Um, I think the jury's still out. I don't, I don't know if we have a clear answer of who's mm -hmm. going to be impacted the most, because it's going to take some time to see what the implications really are. As sure. you mentioned, you know, you still can't do evictions in most places. Um, you know, we're, we're still have all the assistance right now from the, the CARES Act as far as the funds that have been provided, the stimulus package that's sure. been provided mm -hmm. to residents. So it's not clear what that impact is going to be. Now, what I am keeping my eye on are a couple of things. So first and foremost, when it comes to your C-class resident or, um, you know, those individuals, I think communication is key. You have to stay on top of them from a communication standpoint, clearly articulating what's going on, what your plans are, what the rules are going to be, and setting the expectations for them so they know what to do. If you're not really communicating, you're already behind the eight ball because if someone is sitting there thinking about, you know, I've got a thousand bucks and I can pay 600 or 700 bucks in rent, or I could buy food and use the rest to make sure we have food to eat and I can stretch this out for the next couple of months. They're, if they have an option not to pay rent and pay for food to survive, they're going to survive. Sure. So you mm -hmm. have to make it clear that, hey, the expectation is there to pay rent. But I also would say that you need to work with people in that sense as well. If, if they truly can't pay, you may be able to help get them money by letting them know what, what – um, programs they qualify for sure. to mm -hmm. get the, the proper aid that they need. And you have to say that you have to extend it. You can't expect them to automatically apply for, um, you know, for, for unemployment or to be in a situation where they've already, you know, uh, submitted all the documents. You may need to help them or guide them. And sure. some folks aren't tech savvy, so that maybe they don't use the internet that often. So you may need to educate them on what that process actually is. So on the class C, I would say the more proactive you are on the communication front, the better off you will be. Um, on the class A, you know, a lot of people will tell you that, hey, you know, class A is a great place to be, not really impacted as much. You can work virtually. Well, mm -hmm. here's the reality. A lot of times with everything that you see going on, you're going to have a lot of companies that are not hitting their revenue goals this year, uh, right. most mm -hmm. companies. So, when those things happen, you have your essential employees, which are mm -hmm. typically your frontline workers who are, sure. you know, essentially mm -hmm. making sure the product or service gets done. Mm -hmm. And then you have your, your executives who they're going to certainly make sure they're happy. Sure. And uh, then you have your middle management. <laughs> and middle management typically gets squeezed when these situations happen. Do you really need 15 regional sales managers 
if you know you you missed your mark on sales or can you consolidate that to to 10 so that's what a lot of companies will do so i would argue that um especially on the younger side if you've got a, a 28 year old regional sales manager or someone like that they're probably more susceptible to being squeezed out if companies aren't meeting their profit expectations. So, right. and they're typically the younger ones. I say that because they're probably the ones who are renting in class A versus maybe an older individual may already have a single family home or something like that may already be married. So I, I think you have a lot of factors there to, to keep in mind. Mm-hmm. Um, and for those individuals that may take a little bit of a longer lead time to see that impact. And as long as the government's printing money and putting it in the hands of Americans, um, I don't think we'll be able to, to gauge what the true impact's going to be. So at this point, I can't say that there's a, a clear um, winner. Um, what I will say is just keep your eye on those three factors. And I think that'll help you, uh, you know, help you understand where the opportunities may be coming out of this. Right, right. And, and you're, you're absolutely correct, John, that I think because of all the stimulus money that has been printed, I think the water is a little murky right now. We don't know, uh, you know, the real clear impact of all of this. And when I basically all the stimulus money runs out, then I think we'll start to see, okay, who's really having stress and who's in distress and things like that. And then we'll probably start to see a lot more impact in terms of, okay, who's not able to pay or which businesses are kind of just pretty much going down. And I like to sometimes say that it's just a corporate uh, bankruptcy tsunami of sorts, you know, and, and this, all this sort of, you know, brings in into how we are going to evaluate the submarkets moving forward, meaning that let's say if something is coming up for sale, uh, we, ha- we don't have a clear picture of, uh, you know, what that income or the net income or the net operating income, as we like to say, uh, how that is going to look. And we don't know that how to evaluate that property. And could you maybe share, uh, John, that as like someone who's passive uh, and looking at some of the opportunities, they wouldn't have a clear understanding of, you know, what, how resilient that class is, you know, would you maybe perhaps maybe tell them that, hey, uh, listen, instead of, um, you know, let's say the office or the retail type of deals, maybe look towards self-storage or multifamily or perhaps, uh, you know, manufactured housing and things like that. What, what would you say to that passive investor in, in, in such situations? Well, I mean, I think you have to just keep your eye on the market. If you're truly passive, you know, part of the the thought process and being passive is you have to select the right strategy. And I would argue that if COVID is making you do a 180 from the strategy you were on, Mm -hmm. you probably did not select the right strategy in the first place. Mm -hmm. And what I mean by that is to say, if you're, let's take retail, right? Retail has mm-hmm. been hit fairly, fairly hard. Um, but retail has been facing challenges for years. And, and sure. I don't just mean, I'm not talking investing. I'm just talking about the changing landscape of the Brick internet. and mortar. Yep. Brick absolutely. and mortar. You know, yep. I mean, you mm-hmm. can get most products shipped directly to your home now. So that has been an issue for retail for over Decades. a decade now. Okay. Mm -hmm. That's been a real thing. So if you were invested in retail, you recognize this issue. So if this is now the thing that's making you say, Hey, maybe I shouldn't be in retail. That's fine. But I think that you need to step back and say, you know what, there were probably threats to retail anyway, 
sure. that you needed to factor in. Um, with multifamily, the reason we like multifamily, I know you like multifamily as well, is because that's the one thing that um, really you can't change based on technology. People sure. need a place to live. Mm-hmm. Now, those changes may be how they live together. Maybe they decide to take on micro apartments. Maybe they want to live in smaller, smaller apartments and save money that way. Sure. Maybe they want to rent out their homes or, mm-hmm. you know, um, you know, do Airbnb. Maybe mm-hmm. they want to um, do, you know, assisted living facilities. So there's different ways there that I think you can adjust and pivot a little bit. Sure. Um, maybe mm-hmm. they want to rent single family houses, but at its core, multifamily is just about, you know, um, about creating housing and providing housing for, for people. And I think that, you know, that's a strategy that is kind of sound, tried and tested. Mm -hmm. And it really comes down to identifying the right locations, identifying the right demographic and providing a quality product for them. Um, As you look at other asset classes, industrial warehouse, other things like that, there's certainly upside there. And and most of those, those uh, opportunities, um, you know, they are continuing to, uh, either thrive based on what the threats were prior to COVID mm-hmm. or they're being impacted more virtual. We talked about office, you know, sure. virtual mm-hmm. that's been a thing too. people working remotely. That's been a thing for about a decade or so now. Right. So these aren't new threats that have come, but they are certainly hitting very hard where people are now being forced to pay attention to what these threats are, recognizing how technology is shaking things up, but also how you can be, be impacted by a global pandemic. Absolutely. And as you rightfully said, I mean, COVID pretty much uh, accelerated all these changes, uh, you know, phases who were, you know, kind of slowing down, we pretty much, you know, brought it to extension of sorts. And, you know, a lot of things are uh, changing very quickly. Now, shifting gears a little bit, uh, John, you're an expert into marketing and branding and things like that. Uh, Can you share what your background was and how you kind of integrated that? uh, So all of those skills into multifamily uh, and, you know, sort of the, uh, all the things that you do within your company. So I have 15 years experience as a marketer working for large brands and companies. Uh, I was at General Motors working on the Pontiac brand, working on Buick and GMC. Uh, I was at an advertising agency working on Coors Light, Mountain Dew, Nike, and other brands. So I've had a lot of time to really understand the marketing dynamics of brands, how to build brands, how to work with influencers, you know, really understanding that exchange and that dynamic between influencers and influencing consumers mm-hmm. in helping to drive that connection with the the benefits of a product or service that's being offered so for for multifamily part of what happened was it took me a minute to step back and say you know what at its core any business problem is really a marketing problem mm-hmm. and you just have to dissect it and understand which issue we're really talking about so with mm-hmm. multifamily you're talking about two things usually you're talking about either finding deals Mm-hmm. Or you're talking about pulling together the capital or resources to do those deals. Sure. So when you talk about finding deals, you know, that is, you know, you get your off market. You, you have people who do direct mail campaigns, or maybe they're going to brokers, mm-hmm. or maybe they are, you know, cold calling owners, but mm-hmm. they're doing whatever they can to find an actual deal. Sure. Um, for a mm-hmm. passive investor, it's a little bit different because the way a passive investor finds a deal is they have to find someone who has a deal or investment opportunity. So for them, 
there are, you know, you might be listening to a show like this, sure. or maybe mm -hmm. you are, you know, on Google or Bigger Pockets or wherever you are trying to find potential sponsors or operators so you can vet them and learn more about them and what they do. Sure. But you're finding the deal, right? So marketing mm -hmm. is one of those things with how do you find a deal? Mm -hmm. The other side of that is finding the capital or finding the resources. Well, mm -hmm. if you have the money yourself, then you're probably just looking for a bank or a lender. Mm -hmm. If you need to bring people together, so for many of your listeners, if you're into apartment syndication or syndication in general, or even just the JV partnerships, mm -hmm. then you're looking for passive investors. So you're Absolutely. looking to identify where they're at, what are they looking for, how do you reach them, how do you connect with them? So marketing is one way to do that, but you have to be careful because there's obviously a lot of regulations when it comes to the investment space and sec regulations so i can't just blast to the world that hey guys i've got this amazing deal <laughs> and uh i'm looking for investors who wants to invest with me like i cannot put that on my facebook page Absolutely. even though you've probably seen people put that on their facebook page you're not <laughs> supposed to put that on your facebook page Absolutely. so <laughs> you cannot do those kind of things so you have to find other ways to kind of balance what I call kind of um, inbound marketing. And sure. what that is, is instead of me telling people, hey, I've got this deal, come invest with me, we have to create kind of a, I'm gonna say a mousetrap, but it's really a, a way to engage and entice people to come and learn more about us. And they can absolutely, they're ready to invest versus me pushing and being a salesman and telling, you know, calling people cold they actually can get a chance to learn more about us. And this is not just me, but they can learn more about operators or sponsors or anyone. Sure. And at that point, they can raise their hand and say, hey, listen, I'd like to learn more about you and your business and potentially be a customer or client. Absolutely. I totally agree with you. It's lead generation, how you attract uh, the potential uh, uh, you know, prospects and kind of educate them and you know give, offer them you know uh, sort of all the services the knowledge that it needs and make it easy for them right and, and part of all this uh, john is also the education component that comes in the picture and we like to always say the thought leadership whether you're publishing the blog or you know having a podcast like this and things like that can you maybe share john some of the insights that you may have done uh, recently or perhaps in your career as far as you know how you are integrating the thought leadership platforms and doing various things to attract more and more passive investors yeah, listen, you, you hit it right there on the head. You know, um, there's something called a lead generation. And as the name may imply, it's just something to help you connect with potential, potential clients or customers. And you don't know if they're a client or customer yet, or even if they're interested, but you just have to generate leads. So that's the first thing we want to do is just get people aware of us. And that awareness is really the first step. If people don't know you, they certainly can't do business with you. And this is not even limited to real estate. This is just marketing in general. People have to be aware of your product or service. So that is the first step in making people aware. Now, if you have a huge budget, you know, you can run a TV ad or you can spend millions of dollars on social media campaigns or online marketing. Sure. But for most small business owners, that's not really an option. So in that case, you have to get creative. And one of the ways you can be creative is to create your own content. That could be blogs, that could be podcasts, that could be videos, that could be social media posts, but you're creating content to help drive awareness of your product or service. Now, once you kind of have that awareness, next thing that you want to do is you really want to 
find who your ideal customer is. And that starts to go from you pushing out content Mm -hmm. to you attracting leads. And the way you do that is through kind of a lead magnet. Okay. Mm -hmm. And as the name may imply, you want to attract people with this magnet, right? You want to pull them to you and you give them something of value Mm -hmm. by giving people something of value they can sign up for your emails or sign up to learn more about you. That could be anything from, um, you know, a a special article. It could be a a book. It could be a white paper. It could be a video, could be a webinar. Mm -hmm. Um, But there's something of value that you want to offer in exchange for someone's contact information. So by doing that, now you can capture a lead. And from that point, they can now start to self-select whether or not they're a fit. Are they engaging with your content? Are they demonstrating that they're a prospect? Are they raising their hand? But at that point, they start to move down the marketing funnel, going sure. from kind of, uh, you know, someone who was, wasn't aware of your product or service to now they're aware of your product or service to now they've opted in for more communications from you to learn more about you. And sure. they're now identifying themselves as a potential customer or client of mm-hmm. your business. And then from there, you go into, you know, uh, retention and, and things like that. But for the most people, it's about just building that awareness first and foremost and getting them to the point where that customer client or potential customer client is raising their hands saying, Hey, this is interesting. This sounds like it's something that could be a solution for me. And Mm -hmm. I'd like to learn more, or I'd like to buy, or I'd like to, you know, get into the trial phase of this relationship. Right, right. Absolutely. Absolutely. And you said it right, like how you attract and, you know, you offer them something of value, they sign up and they want to learn more. And you offer them, you know, sort of more education. And, you know, it's a value exchange, as you rightfully said. Now, speaking of all this value exchange, John, what are some of the mediums you can say, whether it is, uh, you know, articles, newsletters, could you maybe describe your experience as to what tangible steps or some concrete elements you have implemented in your business? Well, I mean, I I think the very first thing, and this is a mistake that people make, okay? Mm -hmm. The very first thing that you need to do is you have to get clarity on your customer or client, Mm -hmm. okay? So in this case, we're talking about multifamily investors. And, you know, for us, we're talking about passive investors. So Mm -hmm. I have to understand what passive investors want and need. You know, what are they looking for? Um, What are they, what content are they looking for? And then how do they consume said content? Mm -hmm. So it starts with that. You can't just wake up and decide, you know what? I'm going to do Twitter. Um, (laughs) I love Twitter. I like tweeting. And we're just going to use Twitter to make all these posts. Because if your audience isn't there, you're really wasting your time. Um, You're not really being a value. You're not creating value because they're not there. So you have to step back. And the very first step, and I tell my coaching clients this, the very first step is getting clarity on who your target audience is. And just because we're all multifamily investors does not mean that our target investor is the same person. Mm -hmm. If you went to medical school and you're a doctor, that may be your core audience, right? You may be looking at other newer doctors. Mm -hmm. Um, For me, it might be business executives, you know, um, Mm -hmm. who, you know, maybe they're, whatever, right? Maybe they live in the Midwest. Maybe they live in California or whatever the case may be, but you've got to get real clear on who that is. I have a name for my target investor. You know, Mm -hmm. I have a bio for my target investor. I have an age. I know how many kids my target investor has. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. you want to have that level of clarity when you're creating content. Then you can get to the point of your question, which is what do you use? How do you connect with them? And part of this is too, you're always testing stuff. 
Mm-hmm. Okay. There's not a magic bullet here. This isn't sure. something where launch a podcast and you're going to raise, you know, $10 million by the end of the year. Right. That is not how this works. Right. You know, um, maybe you have, I don't know, maybe, maybe work no, not, not, for you. Not at all. <laughs> <laughs> so that's not how this works. Right. Um, sure. so ultimately what you want to do is you want to figure out how do you provide the most value to these people? Sure. Um, mm-hmm. and just launching another podcast may not necessarily provide that kind of value, right. but there are other mm-hmm. ways you can create value for people. So if you understand that and gain some clarity, then you can figure out what solutions make the most sense. So we actually have a process where we kind of walk people through mm-hmm. ident- the process of identifying who that target investor profile is or target consumer, because we do this for other industries as well. So mm-hmm. to understand who your target consumer is or your target client, learning more about this individual what mm-hmm. questions do they have? What challenges do they have? Then how do you uniquely serve them in a way that they're not getting from other people? And it doesn't have to mean that you're the only person doing it. Sure. It just means that you're the only one that they see or that they know that is solving the problem in the way that, th- that you're doing it. And they trust you. You've built the trust, the credibility, and you do what you need to do to build that connection and gain that client or customer. Awesome. Thank you, John. Great insights there. Now, uh, social media has changed, you know, in general, you know, how we market things. I mean, we call it digital marketing and things like that. Um, Could you maybe share some uh, tips about what are some of the best practices of using digital marketing and social media when, uh, you know, when we are interacting with uh, different, uh, you know, customer base out there? Yeah, I mean, I, th- I think the first step is going back to what we just talked about, sure. understanding who your your investor, investor is, or understanding right. who that avatar is, understanding who your consumer profile is, right. and mm-hmm. you really want to cater your social media plan to that individual. So, sure. for instance, let's say um, let's say you focus on business professionals. Mm-hmm. Well, if are where is your business professional showing up? You know, right. are they on LinkedIn? Are they on Twitter? Are they on Instagram? Are they on Facebook? How often are they there? What kind of content are they looking for when they are on those platforms? So just because I'm talking to a business professional, if they're on Instagram to look at fun pictures or they're on Facebook to look at cat pictures or cat videos, doesn't mean they want to hear my, my serious message right now about investing and you know, a preferred return and all these fancy, you know, investing things, right? They may not be in the mindset to to consume information like that right now. So Mm -hmm. part of what you want to do is understand who they are, how do you engage with them and go from there. Now, some general best practices, once you have a good sense of who your your target consumer is, um, you want to develop content that they can engage with. You want to engage, educate, and entertain your audience. So engage. What do I mean when I say the word engage? What I mean is actually engage with them. Mm-hmm. If someone comments on your post, respond to the comment, sure. like them back, answer your questions in your direct messages or your private messages, you right. know, reach mm-hmm. out to people who connected to you and ask them, Hey, thanks for following me. You know, is there anything that you, that sparked with you on the content that you, that you liked, but sure. actually mm-hmm. engage with the people. Like it seems crazy, but social media is supposed to be social. So actually <laughs> engage with the people. Okay. Right. So that's the first step. Um, the second part is to educate. So your content should continue to help move people down that funnel, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. We talked about awareness. We've talked about kind of having a lead generation or some sort of lead magnet, making them a prospect. So how do you get someone who is a potential client? How do you educate them to help them learn more and move them down the funnel? So let's say with this conversation, right? If I was trying to um, talk to a prospective passive investor, Mm -hmm. part of what we might talk about is, 
um, how to vet investment opportunities. Okay. Mm -hmm. So one of the things that we have available on our website, we have a sample deal package. And in that sample deal package, we kind of lay out what a sample deal looks like. And the deal is there and that's part of it. But we use that as a mechanism to educate people what we like to look for in a deal, the way we structure deals, why we do things like do the the deal the way we do it. So um, it's a great way for people to learn more about um, the process. So we try to create content that actually educates people. And then the last thing is to entertain, you know, especially if you're on Facebook or Instagram or or a more lively platform like TikTok, uh, people want to be entertained. You know, right. so they want to laugh, they want to smile, they want to cry, maybe not make them cry. That might be a little off. Uh, but if you can make them laugh a little bit, create some levity to this serious, you know, investing content and find a way to make it more relatable, fun for people. That's a great way to actually entertain. And you might do something fun with your kids or maybe you're, you know, making funny memes about, you know, before and afters of investment properties showing like a a bathroom with a broken down toilet or a concrete tub and and showing the, the, you know, the after pictures, but finding Mm -hmm. a way to keep it somewhat engaging, right. And entertaining. So when people are scrolling, they're like, Oh man, what is that? Or what happened? But put a smile to someone's face. So they associate that smile with you. Right. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you, John. It's been great. Um, A couple of last questions. Um, How have you recently improved your business? Any tools, processes, systems uh, that you have implemented that we can perhaps learn from you? Yeah. I mean, I think one of the biggest things is to always be learning. So checking out podcasts, talking to guests, trying to implement some of the best of the best tips that you get from people. So if there's anything you heard here that stood out to you, certainly take that and implement. One, uh, one tip that I've used and I got from a recent guest was to really um, look at our, our content mm-hmm. and make sure that we are leading people down a story. So as mm-hmm. we talk about stories, as we talk about ways to connect with people, think about how people retain information. So I'll tell you a very brief one. Um, I mentioned to you that I worked at General Motors. Well, one of the ways that I really got serious about real estate investing was back in 2008. We had a similar uncertain time where the market started to crash. I was working at GM and as I was working there, um, I knew we were going to have some layoffs and I, I was told I was safe, but I, you know, you're never quite sure. sure. And the guy who was right in front of me got let go. The person behind me got let go. And I had a red light blinking on my voicemail and it took me about 30 seconds before I finally mustered up the the confidence or the courage I should say to hit the button and listen to what it was Mm -hmm. and I listened to it it was actually the guy in front of me who talked about you know how he got let go and he didn't know how he was going to pay for his bills and it's a real sad story Mm -hmm. but from that experience at that moment I realized hey I need to really focus on investing and real estate and creating kind of passive income. So I'm not solely tied to this job. And Mm -hmm. fast forwarding that to where we're at today in talking to a recent guest, what he told me was like, Hey, stories like that are more memorable than you talking about, you know, just, uh, yeah, the specifics, right. Me talking about the deal Mm -hmm. and the numbers and people don't remember that we remember stories. So your listeners are probably gonna remember that story about me sitting at my desk, looking at the red light blinking, more than some of the tactical or specific things that we talked about earlier in this dialogue, right? Mm -hmm. So trying to implement more stories so people can understand from a contextual standpoint, why we make the decisions we make, why things work the way they work, and just learn a little bit more about who we are in our business. 
Awesome. Awesome. Great insights there. Thank you, John. Uh, please tell our listeners how they can, uh, you know, find you, locate you and learn more about your company. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I mentioned that sample deal earlier, so that's probably a great way to start. You can go to kasmancapital.com slash sample deal. You can download that, learn a little bit more about the way we approach real estate investing. You'll get a follow-up series of emails that kind of break down what to look for in the deal. We have uh, seven, seven tips that we use to identify any deal, especially if you're a passive investor. So it's a really good resource there. Um, and then outside of that, you can check out our podcast, Target Market Insights, the multifamily marketing show. And that is available anywhere you're listening to this podcast, unless you're listening to it on his website, then you can't <laughs> listen to it there. But Apple Podcasts, Spotify, anywhere else, the show is available. Sure. Absolutely. Same here, John. Uh, you know, all the shows are available on iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play, wherever you find your, uh, you know, podcast uh, medium. Those are all where we, uh, you know, distribute this. And with us as well, uh, viewers and listeners of the show know that Premium Cashflow Podcast as well has articles, blogs, and of course, guests like John are always available, uh, you know, uh, and all kinds of, uh, you know, information, whether it's COVID, multifamily, self-storage we are in it all and we are here always to help and if there are any questions uh, please reach out from the website at contact us uh, page and if you're looking to passively invest you can certainly register yourself at uh, uh, premiumcashflow.com using invest with us tab and we regularly have opportunities that we can share and uh, you know if you have any questions please reach out to us and we'll be happy to jump on a phone call so it's been great john thank you for your insights uh, it's always wonderful to connect and i look forward to chatting with you on another future episode Hey, thank you for having me on. A lot of great fun here. And I hope this was great value for your listeners today. And I uh, look forward to staying in touch and talking to you again soon. Awesome. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to Premium Cashflow Real Estate Investing Podcast. Please join us at premiumcashflow.com to sign up for weekly updates, research articles, and more. We will see you again for another great interview with an expert guest. <laughs>